tell you, it is good to be home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night and ask that you would guide and direct our time together, that we may be encouraged and study and learn from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your outlines there and your Bible. Let's turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And uh, it is interesting as most people approach the Gospels and try to harmonize or uh, bring into agreement the stories there. They always criticize uh, the book of John that it doesn't follow the prescribed uh, pattern and things. And uh, John simply includes things that the other writers did not, and he leaves out things that the other writers put in. And uh, I don't know how closely you're able to follow all of these scripture references here, but uh, we are going to, we have uh, skipped over certain parts of Matthew chapter 8 and 9 and uh, why they don't come in the time frame as they are listed in, in the other Gospels um, is not necessarily, I, I wouldn't consider it an error. It's none of the uh, Gospels claim to be a strict chronological recitation. But the information of the events are certainly uh, in agreement one with another. And uh, there is no need to argue or wonder or try to figure out uh, these things. Uh, it's, I was just reading in preparation and, pl- and preparing of this message. We uh, look at John chapter 6. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. And after these things, it's going to include about five other chapters in the other three before we get to after these things. And so another thing is, you'll notice that note at the very bottom is that hopefully we'll cover all the way through Matthew, uh, I mean, Mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 19 in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus called the apostles. And many of the uh, people who have studied this try to make the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain the same sermon. Now, granted, the information is very much uh, similar, but preachers repeat sermons. And... It clearly says, in fact, one guy went so far to say, Jesus went into the mountain and called his 12 apostles and then came down into the plain and taught the sermon. And yet it says he sat on the mountain in Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to make those two separate things. Uh, I don't think we have to uh, crush the scripture to fit our chronology, but uh, we see a looseness here. Uh, they didn't have wristwatches and, and uh, calculators and all of those things. They were just telling the stories in the order that they remembered. And how many of you have been around long enough to say, well, I remember. And someone else says, no, you're not remembering right. Has that ever happened to anybody? 
Now, you little children, you're not old enough to not remember things in order. You just don't remember the first time. But uh, we as adults, sometimes, have you ever put two or three stories together and tried to make one out of them? I say, no, nah, you need to separate those events. And some, uh, as you get older, how many of you have noticed this? Time goes faster. Do you know why? It's very simple. You have more to remember. So when you look back, you're looking back over maybe thousands of events. Whereas when you were a teenager, you couldn't possibly look over more than hundreds of events. And uh, Brother Clayton explained it one time. He said, yeah, I've been in evangelism since 1976. He said, my life doesn't happen a day at a time. It happens a week at a time as we go to a church and we're there for a week or two weeks and everything that happens happens there. And he says, and of course, uh, Brother Clayton's, uh, I think he's going to be 79 this year. And uh, one of the things Brother Horton was talking about, he said, you know, you younger guys are going to have to take our place. And I said, Brother Horton, we don't want, I don't want to take your place because that means you've got to go home first and we want you here. And uh, so we need to uh, be in prayer. But could we not approach our Bible as naturally as we do any other event in history? And I'll tell you what, you won't have near as many problems with your Bible if you'll just simply do it that way. And let the message that is there... Don't allow the chronology to cramp you out of the message that is in the Scriptures. Now let's go to John chapter 5. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there are... Uh, many people that tried to name this feast, and most people believe that this was the second Passover. So I want you to to realize that we come, we go back to letter C. Jesus' first Passover was in John chapter two at the beginning of his ministry. Nicodemus, all of those things, the miracles in Cana of Galilee, an entire year has lapsed as we go through this first part of Jesus' ministry, and yet he has not named his 12 apostles yet. Now, where were, where were they? He had already called Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and uh, uh, Matthew and these different ones. He was in the process of collecting them and training them for the ministry, he wasn't going to send them out until they were ready to go. But they had some things to learn before Jesus was going to let them go. And in John chapter 5, we have a magnificent story that only John gives us. It says here, that he, verse 2, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. 
In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, I've been asked several times, what does that mean, Pastor? It means what it says. Well, how did that work? I have no clue. Do you? Uh, I don't think anybody does. God does not always work in in a specific way that you and I understand. If God chose, and it says right here, that God chose send an angel, and he troubled the water. He made the water to boil up or to move in this pool. And whoever got into the water next got healed. Um, it attributes that to God. It, his angel did this. Why didn't everybody get healed? I don't know. Why did Jesus only heal one man of all this group that was there? The Bible doesn't answer these things. It wants you and I to come to one conclusion, though. Let God be God. Amen? You you can't figure him out. And he does certain things like this just so you'll have some questions and wonder what went on. I mean, there's lots of things in the Bible that are just like this. Where did Moses' father-in-law, the priest of Midian, where did he come from? Why did God speak to Balaam? Because Balaam was a wicked guy. He did a lot of rotten stuff. And yet the Bible tells us these things to let us know one thing. You don't know everything about God, nor will you ever. And so when you come to questions you can't answer, uh, go back to the story here and say, you know, God was doing a miraculous, we might even say strange or weird thing here. Uh, it's not in keeping with any other There's uh, part of Scripture. There's no other parallel to the troubling of the water in the pool and people getting healed anywhere else in the Bible. So, when you have questions about what happens to the Aborigines in Australia, say, you know something? We don't know everything about how God works. We'll just let God take care of the things that only God can take care of. Amen? And we will not allow that to be excuse not to take care of the things that he has given us specific direction on. You see, as we study the scriptures, as we're going through the gospels here, one thing ought to be very apparent to you. There is definite instruction and direction to each of us as individuals in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Do not allow the questions you cannot answer deter you from being obedient to the parts of Scripture you can be obedient to. Amen?
You see, faith makes me obedient to God's word. And so Jesus was going to do something here that is absolutely amazing and yet necessary in the ministry of of Jesus here in his bringing the message of himself to the Jewish people, he finds this man that had been laying there 38 years, verse 5, and asks him if he will be made whole. And he says in verse 7, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked and on the same day was did you read that? The Sabbath. Now, was it lawful to carry your bed on the Sabbath day? Under ordinary circumstances, no. You say, well, what was extraordinary about this? If the man did not carry his bed home with him, what would he sleep on that night? Nothing. Have you ever tried to sleep on nothing? I mean, just on a stone floor with no coat, no padding, nothing to break. I'll tell you what, it's... You see, if an animal fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, the law provided that you didn't have to make the animal suffer. So when somebody tells you God's against animals because of all the sacrifices in the Bible, tell them to take a hike. Amen? If if you've got to scrape the barrel that low to criticize the Scripture, uh, you've got other problems. Let's, Let's get those fixed first. Amen? Uh, God cares about everyone. It says he even takes time to attend the funeral of every sparrow. And there is no more worthless bird on this earth than the sparrow who does less good and more problems caused than the sparrow. And yet God cares for them. I'll trust God instead of the Humane Society or PETA, or any of those other strange and bizarre people groups. So we look here that Jesus took and healed this one man out of many. It was on the Sabbath day, and of course, the Jews had a problem with that. What are you doing breaking the Sabbath? Well, he tried to explain, but of course, when you are holding on to your tradition more than you are the word of God, will you be explained to? Mm -mm. You ever wonder why you can't get God's message to certain people? It's because they're holding too tightly to their tradition. And when you hold to your tradition, whether you will accept this or not, In order to hold to the tradition of men, you must reject the words of God. And that's what this whole discussion is going to be about. And let's just skip ahead 
to verse to the end of this, verse forty-seven. Otherwise, we will not uh, we will not get through the the section that we're planning on getting through tonight. Look at verse forty-six and forty-seven. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? This is the crux of the argument that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees here. You claim to be the protectors of the law and you criticize this man for supposedly breaking the Sabbath day. But what you need to understand is, I am the creator of the Sabbath day. You see, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you cannot be saved. And I don't mean to be too critical today, but uh, a big event in history, the first time in 600 years the Pope resigned without dying first. And uh, uh, the last time was a time in history when there were actually three elected popes reigning at the same time. And after fighting a war, one of the guys decided that rather than getting killed, he would just advocate. And that was the last time a pope advocated was under the pains of death. And so you, you better be paying attention. There's a whole lot more wrong with this situation than you could ever imagine. By the way, Christianity was not hurt by the events of today. Because in order to hold to those traditions, you must reject this word, the same as the Jewish people in Jesus' day, the same with any religion that offers its own traditions instead of the Scriptures. If you're going to believe the Scriptures, you must reject the worship of men. It must happen. And by the way, even in Baptist circles, there's a few guys aspiring to be uh, greater than an ordinary human being. And the Lord has a way of settling that thing out. Uh, Just serve God and get your eye off man. Amen? That's what, read John chapter 5. I mean, it is a rich, rich passage. Uh, Just a few notes. Jesus was trying to bring these Jewish people face to face with their hatred of what is true and what is good. Look at verse 15, chapter 5. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to think about this. Because this theme is going to come up over and over again. Okay, on the Sabbath day, it was wrong to work. Right? Do you think plotting to murder a man might be a sin? Uh, Thou shalt not kill. And yet these men, because of their vehement holding to their traditions accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath by allowing this man to carry his bed home out of care and concern for this man, which is totally in keeping 
with the Sabbath laws. And yet they persecuted him and sought to kill him on the Sabbath day. Who was breaking the Sabbath, my friend? You see, in order to keep their traditions, they had to break God's laws. That is the seed of all false religion. In order to venerate a man above other men and worship a man as the Pope is worshipped, he is knelt before, his ring is kissed, all of these things go on. Wait a minute. You're breaking God's laws. Somebody said, well, what about you? We don't venerate pastors. We're on the same. Somebody said, why is your pulpit so high? Because the Jews built this building and they built it that high. Amen. Uh, We're not changing the platform. But the other thing is, is so when I speak, my voice carries out over the heads of the people. It's just simple physics. Uh, If I stood down on the same floor, uh, it would be we would just have to turn the PA up a little bit, especially on Sunday morning. So the simple thing is Jesus was trying to bring them face to face with their hatred of good. They were so angry that Jesus healed this man and made him whole, they were trying to kill him. Does that make sense to you? It ought not. But it made perfect sense to them because he was attacking their traditions. They had appointed themselves the protectors of God's word. You know what? This book does not need protecting. There have been many attempts and many books written over the years and and trying to protect God's law. Now, I'm glad for some of those books. They're written by very learned men who studied uh, uh, many things. But your book is not going to protect this book. You get saved, guess what you're going to do? You're going to believe God's word. And how many people have come to this church carrying some other version of the Bible and all of that, and we begin to just give a few Uh, truths and all of a sudden you don't have to fight with them you don't have to convince them you know why because this is God's word that's why we use the old King James Bible and nothing else here we don't want something that's been tampered with but let me tell you we're not here to protect God's word God's word is here to protect us That's the difference. You wonder why these people fight wars over religion? It's because if they don't protect their religion, nobody else will. We don't have to protect our religion. We don't have to protect God. In fact, He protects His Word and He uses His Word to protect us. And He is using this to show them their hatred of the truth. 
He's using this to show them his deity, that he is in very fact the God of the Old Testament. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh and hitherto, worketh hitherto, and I work. Now look at verse 18. You say, What in the world does he mean, My father worketh hitherto, and I work? Well, let the Pharisees explain it to you. They understood what he meant. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews, and again, when you see capital J-E-W-S, that is not talking about every Jewish man. It's the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Let me tell you something. The Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees, two years from now, they're going to have Jesus on trial, very Passover week, and they're going to be trying to accuse them, and Jesus is going to say, you heard me teach in the temple, you know exactly what I taught. This is proof that what Jesus said was true. And yet, even though they all knew this, they still had to hire false accusers, false witnesses, to try to accuse Jesus of things that he had not done. Isn't that amazing to you? It it ought to be, amen? Jesus explained to them as thoroughly and as completely as a man could that he and the Father are one, making himself equal with God. Does that not sound like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? Amen? It's there. And so we come down and Jesus spends the rest of the chapter explaining this. Let's let's just pick up a, a little bit here. Uh, Let's look at verse 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him. How could you say it any stronger than right there? That Jesus said, if you do not honor me the same as you honor God, you're not honoring God. Does everybody see that there? I mean, that's what it says. And so here Jesus is asserting his deity. He is showing them his desire for their salvation. Look at verse 34. But I receive not the testimony of man from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. Now, When Jesus is telling these religious people that they might be saved, what is he claiming? That at this point, they are not saved. This is something that is yet future. This is an event that he desires to happen on their account. Now, if you've been to church and been religious all your life, And someone came up to you and said, 
I hope that someday you will be saved. Might that not be just a little offensive to you? But that's what Jesus said to these Jewish people. Now, I want you to understand when we have capital J-E-W-S, the Jewish religious leaders, you had to quote Genesis 1-1 through the end of the book of Deuteronomy just to pass the entrance exam. I don't know that much. I couldn't quote you that many verses of the Bible. These guys had the Bible, and yet they were not saved because their faith was not in the God of the book of the Bible. It was in their tradition and their religion. You know what? You don't own God. In fact, the Bible says he owns you. He is your father. He bought you with a price. He redeemed us is what the word redeem means. And we were adopted into his family. How in the world could you get more into God than to be born into his family, to be bought with a price, and then to be adopted? Uh, God's pretty serious about this thing of salvation. He wants people to be saved. And yet, as we'll find, we've already gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate. It says, many are going to try to go in there in thereat and shall not be able. We need to make sure our salvation. How do you do that? I met people say, well, Pastor, I pray the sinner's prayer every day. That's not the way to do it. Is that a faith? You know, one of the things I teach my children, don't ask the same thing over and over again. You're going to get something, but it's not going to be what you're asking for. Amen? God doesn't want us to ask him to do something over and over again that he said he would do. He wants us to put our faith in the fact that he will save us and give us eternal life. Amen? When God says he'll do something, he will get it done. When you keep asking the same thing over again, it's evidence that you don't believe that God has done what he said he did. And that's exactly the problem Jesus was dealing with with these Jewish men is because they believed that their salvation was earned by their works. That's why it was such a horrible thing for this man to carry his bed on the Sabbath day. That was breaking the commandment. And yet Jesus said it wasn't. Because just like an animal falls into a ditch and is able to be rescued so this man should have his bed to sleep on at night because Jesus healed him on the day, on the Sabbath. So Jesus shows his deity. He shows his desire for their salvation. And then he tries to show them their sinfulness. Look at verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they 
are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. We go back to the beginning. They were plotting his murder to kill him. How could they have the love of God in them? I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Now Jesus was striking at the root of their quote-unquote Jewishness. This is why they were called Jews with a capital J. They claimed to be the Jews of the Jews, the super Jews, you might, might say. They claimed to be the epitome of everything the Bible said a Jewish man ought to be. And yet, they were not. They were the antithesis, the exact opposite. Because they did not worship God, they worshiped each other. When they preached their sermons... They did not say, thus saith the Lord. They said, the ancient rabbi so-and-so interpreted this passage to mean this. And the older rabbi so-and-so said in agreement that it means this. And we go to the great rabbi. What were they doing? They were honoring one another and ignoring the God who gave the word in the first place. That's why Jesus is trying to shake them up. In fact, do not look at verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Now, one of the reasons why they believed that this was a Passover feast was because when Jesus returns to Galilee, we're going to have this same theme continued in the next events that happen. All religious Jewish people would have been in Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus was not arguing with just the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but the leaders of Galilee and Jewry from all over the world were assembled here together. And when Jesus returns to Galilee, let's go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Now you'll notice that we've, it's taken John five chapters to go a whole year. And Mark is not even out of chapter 2 yet. In Matthew, we're chapter 12 already. But we come down to uh, Matthew, cha Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And it says, that It came to pass as he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, 
Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat to showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them that were with him? Then he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Jesus finishes this by saying, Excuse me, I'm the one that's in charge here. I will determine. In fact, he already had determined. It had been determined when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai that what Jesus uh, allowed here was within the keeping of the Sabbath. What they did was as they were walking through the fields of corn, now you have to understand, corn, when you and I think of corn, we think of big yellow ears of corn. How would you take that and put it between your hands and eat it? And has anybody ever eaten raw corn? Uh, It's not very pleasant, let me tell you. But the word corn in your King James Bible, yellow corn was discovered. The Indians had it for centuries. They called it maize. Uh, It was not consumed by Europeans until actually late in the 1700s, early 1800s. In fact, we had a member here of our from our, in, in our church years ago, and she said, that yellow stuff, that's for the cows. That's not for people to eat. Uh, I mean, the tradition still persisted where she lived. And the simple truth was it was wheat. They picked the ears. They would pop the head off. The kernels would be in their hands, and they just rubbed them together to get the husk off and eat the kernels of wheat. Well, That's threshing, is it not? Not allowed to do that on the Sabbath, right? Well, Jesus made a simple statement here. He said the Sabbath was created for man. See, people get the idea that the Sabbath is a day of worship. That is not true. You will never find that in your scriptures. The Sabbath is a day of rest. If you had the opportunity to prepare food, what you were supposed to do, you're supposed to prepare food Friday afternoon to last you through till Saturday night. Apparently, if we'll just read this in its context, The disciples had no such opportunity. And rather than go hungry, it was permissible for them. They weren't cooking. They weren't taking the normal time to prepare food. But they needed nourishment. And they took it. You see, Jesus said, Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, when you get all of your little traditions in line, what you're going to do is you're going to regulate, and this is what the Jewish people had done, their religion had regulated the rest day 
and turned it into all kinds of things that were demanded of the average man. He was supposed to be in the synagogue and listen to the reading of the scriptures and this and that and the other thing. Where was the rest in all of that? They had removed the rest from the Sabbath. Who was keeping the Sabbath? Jesus or the Pharisees? Let me tell you, Jesus was. Amen. And he's going to continue this from John chapter 5. If we follow the chronology, he had started the argument in Jerusalem not to start an argument, but to bring them face to face with their sinfulness and their tradition and to give them an opportunity to be saved. He reiterates the argument here. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I determine what's right and wrong. How many of you remember when you were a kid, you thought something, and your parents, or maybe your school teacher, thought it was wrong. And they would say, listen, you're not the teacher here. I am. I will tell you if your answer is right, but it is not. It is wrong. Now, this is what Jesus was simply doing. He's saying, excuse me, gentlemen. You are talking to the Lord of the Sabbath. I will tell you what is Sabbath-breaking and what isn't. Now, we're going to have one more event that's going to happen here. Let's go down to Mark chapter 3. And it says, he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there that had a withered hand. Now, look at verse 2. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Excuse me, is that in and of itself not breaking the Sabbath? It most certainly is. And before this Sabbath is over, they're going to go call their friends, the Herodians, who weren't their friends at all. They were their bitterest enemies. Because the Herodians did not worship in the synagogues. They did not read the scriptures. They would be classified with the sinners and publicans. You remember how upset they got about Jesus eating with the sinners and publicans? Well, here they take their worship on the Sabbath day and go over to the dens of iniquity where the Herodians are living and doing their whatever they did, in total disregard for the scripture, and said, you guys got to figure out a way that we can kill this Jesus guy. You talk about breaking the Sabbath. How could you break the Sabbath any more than that? And yet they were so busy holding their traditions, they could not see their own sin. That's why Jesus put these stories in here. And when you take a little bit of time and invest, you see a natural progression of Jesus' teaching and reiterating truths. And in Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to just let you read those few verses there. Jesus withdrew himself because of the plotting and the planning of these men and sat on the seashore and actually stood in a ship again as he had already done and taught and healed the people. And we come down to... Uh, uh, let's go. To, let's just stay in Mark chapter three. Go to verse thirteen. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. 
And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, he surnamed them Boangeres, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which betrayed him, and they went into a house. Now, the reason I chose this event is Jesus is changing the direction of his ministry right here. He has been teaching the multitudes and healing the multitudes. Now, from the multitudes, he's going to choose 12. Luke's account gives us the word apostle. The biblical definition of an apostle is one who was personally called by Jesus and personally trained by Jesus. That's why there are no apostles today. There are many people who claim that title. Paul was the last apostle. Well, how was he called by Jesus? Road to Damascus. How was he trained by Jesus? Read Galatians chapter 1. He spent three years in the desert learning directly from Jesus. He did not learn what he knew from the other disciples, the other apostles. He only spent 15 days with Peter in his whole life. Other than Peter's very short visit to Antioch that wasn't extremely pleasant and a few other things because Peter did some wrong things. And so... What we have here is Jesus saying, now I'm going to send out people to preach about me. That's what the apostle's job was. Let me tell you, every leader that has ever led men has done the same thing. Do you know that Lenin had his teachers that taught people about him? He did. It was a bad thing to be a teacher about Lenin because once Lenin came to power, you know what he did with most of those teachers? Talk to Trotsky. Uh, No, that was Stalin, I'm sorry. But uh, that's what men do. They copy God at every turn. Jesus sent these 12 men. He gave them special authority and power to do what he wanted them to do. But when the disciples did it, what did people say? Acts chapter 4. They took notice that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't you like that said about you? That's the goal of every true Christian. Is when people see us, they give praise to Jesus. Amen? So we have Jesus establishing here 
his authority, his deity, and the right to send people out to tell others about him. We also have the lining up, the polarizing of the Jewish religious leaders opposing him in ways that make them just literally walk all over the Ten Commandments, despise the Ten Commandments, that they might, what? Keep Jesus from breaking them. Which he never did. He wasn't attacking the Ten Commandments. He endorsed them. He never broke one of them. But he did tread upon their tradition. And that's what got him upset. Okay, just 30 seconds of application. We're done tonight. Don't allow your tradition and your understanding to ever go against the scriptures. Allow the scriptures to modify what you understand about life. Amen? And whenever there's a question as to what's going on, we give God the benefit of the doubt. Amen? We don't accuse God of doing wrong. We don't uh, allow God to even have the opportunity to be accused of doing wrong. We believe God first. Why is it that people will listen to, oh, um, who are we going to pick on tonight? Um, what is that woman's name? Joyce something or other? Joyce Myers, yeah. I was trying to get the weather on the TV and I was going through the stations to get to the weather channel and guess who was smiling from the other side of the screen. Why will people believe Joyce Myers and reject the scriptures? Why will people believe Benny Hinn? Why would anybody believe Benny Hinn? But if they believe the politicians, I guess you'd believe anybody, right? Listen. My faith and trust is in the person and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. Not in anything else. And what we try to do here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church is serve him according to his word. And you know what? That's the basis of our unity in our church. You know, every one of us in this room is going to do something wrong. It's going to offend somebody else. I mean, it's just going to happen. We're human beings. What allows us to put up with those offenses it's our desire to serve Jesus according to his words. Amen? That allows us to let each other be human. And it allows us together to worship him as God. Tonight, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, say amen. amen. If you haven't, We'll give him give opportunity for you to trust him tonight. Because that's what our church is about. How many of you have, who have trusted Jesus 
have had some definite struggles in your life this past week. You know what? We're going to give you an opportunity to bring those struggles to an old-fashioned altar and let Jesus take care of them for you. That's what the Bible means when it says, casting your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And Lord, we're thankful for your teaching and your word and what you have done. We're thankful for your grace, your forgiveness, your goodness. We're thankful that you are God. And that you came and lived among us and put up with all of man's disbelief and accusation. That you might save those that would believe on your name. Lord, my prayer is tonight, if we have someone in our group that's not saved, that they would simply trust you as their Savior. Lord, if they're not ready, I pray that this time tonight would be another step toward the Savior. Lord, I pray for those who are saved, have come to that point of trusting Jesus and no one and nothing else but are struggling or overwhelmed with circumstance. I pray that you would allow us to let go of our circumstance and simply trust you. Lord, as we have this time of invitation, would you work in our hearts and lives that we may leave here better able to serve you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And as the music plays...